Amen, amen, amen. Come on, give somebody a high five or something next to you. Tell them how good it is to be in church. Make sure they're awake. Woo! Yeah? Hallelujah. Well, I want to do kind of a baptism preparatory commit your life to Jesus message this morning. Because uh, I think it's good for all of us. And, um, and part of where I want to take us and where I want to get us to uh, is, just, is just how cool it is to know what Jesus has done for us. But to know what Jesus has done for us, we have to start by understanding how messed up we were. Was anybody a mess? If you were a mess, you got a message. If you went through a test, you got a testimony. Amen? Has anybody still got any mess at all that they're overcoming? Hallelujah. 50 honest people in the building. That's good. Amen. We are overcomers. Amen? And he's leading us and he's helping us. I want to start, though, with something crazy. I want to start with the Ten Commandments. You ever heard of those? So the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were ordained to actually lead us to Jesus. Now, why do they lead us to Jesus? Because when you read them, you realize what a mess you are or were. You realize that you don't measure up to the glory of God. You don't measure up to what God expects. It says in Galatians chapter 4 that the commandments were added because of the increase of transgression. Transgression was increasing. People were sinning, and so God wanted to make it clear what his expectations were. And he gave these commandments to Israel because he selected Israel to be a light to the world. He selected Israel to be a light to the world, to be a special people. Actually, the first terminology that Peter quotes in 1 Peter chapter 2, that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's out of the Old Testament. It was first spoken over Israel because that's what God ordained for Israel. God called Israel to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And now that's what he's called us to. That's what we've entered into. So listen to the Ten Commandments. They're in Exodus chapter 20. They're in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Everybody say the Ten Commandments. Wow. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or on the earth beneath or in the water or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not make for yourself any idol. An idol is defined as something that you dangle over the Lord. I-D-O-L. Something I dangle over the Lord. Something that I, something that I elevate, something that I put higher than God in my life. Something that I trust in or look to instead of God. Ever had an idol? 
next one, you shall not take the, Lord of, the, the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The next one, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, and in it you shall not do any work. Your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your cattle or sojourner who stays with you. The next one, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that in your days, that your days may be prolonged and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord gives you. Ever dishonored your mom or dad? Did you know this one here actually uh, was worthy of stoning? If you dishonored your parents, uh, this one here... (laughs) Um, but now instead of stoning our children, we just go get stoned, right? I'm trying to be a little bit silly. I'm just trying to throw in some, we need some levity in here. Hallelujah. Okay. How do you get, how do you get levity in the middle of the 10 commandments? You shall not murder. You shall not murder is the next one. Now Jesus says, you've heard it say, this is Matthew 5. Don't murder, but I say, if you hate someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. And I say, do not even call someone a fool. So Jesus brings illumination on these commandments and actually ups the ante on them. Because Jesus says the commandments were really meant to deal with your heart. And if you've missed... If you've missed the heart intent of the commandments, then you've missed the intent of Father. They're meant to orchestrate a change of nature within. So that's why the commandments are are so powerful, and that's why when we look at the commandments and then we look at the words of Jesus out of Matthew 5, we begin to see that, that every one of us have fallen short in these commandments. There is none righteous, no, not one, Isaiah says. So Jesus says, if we're angry with our brother, if we're filled with hatred, if we have hatred in our heart, then we've committed murder. The next one is you shall not commit adultery. This is verse 18. You shall not commit adultery. Um, But then Jesus took that one further in Matthew 5 as well. He said that if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. I suppose that we could interpolate, we could translate, we could understand today that that would also mean if you look upon a man, ladies. with wrong desire in your heart, then you've committed adultery. Right? You shall not steal. Anybody ever stole anything? Anybody in the room? 
Five honest people. Anybody else? Did my wife's hand go up? What in the? Are you serious? I thought you were holier than that. Anybody else ever steal? Anybody in the building ever steal? The next one, the next one. You shall not bear false witness. This is fancy King James talk for you shall not lie. Do not lie. Anybody ever lie? So you're trying to tell me that this church is filled with lying, thieving, adulterers. Who have taken the Lord's name in vain, who have ignored the Sabbath... And the next one, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or husband. You shall not desire your neighbor's house. What did I just say? This is the Bible. This is the Bible. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or female servant. You know what a servant is today? His dishwasher. It's not just an employee. Come on, somebody. His car, that's my servant that gets me to, from point A to point B. Right? You shall not desire his male servant or female servant, his ox or his donkey. Well, I guess that would be the car. Or anything. Or, or, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You know what Christian coveting is? I pray that I I pray that I receive theirs and they get something better. In the name of Jesus, may they get All right, I'm just teasing on that one. So what's the what what is the law for? The the law, the law is meant to shut your justification up. Literally, the Bible says to shut every man's mouth. What kind of mouth? The mouth of, the mouth of reasoning, the mouth of justification, the mouth of I'm not near as bad as they are. Have you seen what they've done? The mouth of comparison. The mouth of, well, I, I'm not that bad. Well, I really don't think that I really don't think that, that I've got that many problems. The law is meant to shut our mouth and to show us that we are all condemned. John 3.16, it's a favorite scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who should ever believe in him should not perish. What's John 3.17? For God did not come into the world to condemn the world. So Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Why? We're already condemned. The law has condemned you. The law has declared you condemned. Why? Because you cannot measure up to this. You can work your little fanny off, and you will not measure up to the righteous requirements of the law. Can't happen. Won't happen. 
you might get a week clean and sober. Hello, somebody. I'm a week without lying. I'm a, I am three years without stealing. Whoops. I have gone 30 years and I have my 30-year pin without coveting my neighbor's car, dishwasher, wife. And then on the first day of the 31st year, you relapsed. Man, that guy's got a good woman. I sure wish mine was like that. Boy, how'd they get that car? Man, wish that was my car. Hello. Hello. Just, just when you had a really good track record, just when you had a really good track record, you relapsed. Why? Because, because you and I were born with a flawed nature. We were born with a flawed nature. And we need the redemption, the covering, the salvation of God through Jesus. Jesus came to do for us what we could not do so that we could receive the grace, the enablement, the empowerment of God to do what we could not do without him. In him and by him and through him, our relapses begin to get minimized and distant. How many of you have fewer relapses in the lying than you had before? How many of you have fewer relapses into coveting than you had before? <laughs> How many of you have fewer relapses into cheating or stealing? Or yeah, 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 yeah. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is now working in you, enabling you, empowering you. Yes? But the purpose of the law, the, the purpose of the law, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 that the law is good and that the law is holy. The law is good. The law is holy. Galatians 3.19, why the law? Galatians 3.19, it was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed of whom the promise until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Verse 22 of Galatians 3, But the Scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith come, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor, our schoolmaster, to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. When all of us in this room, when, and, and, and most of us in this room have come to Jesus, when all of us see or saw that we were lost that we were undone, that we were unable, that we, we were condemned, then we made a decision to trust in him who fulfilled the law. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. 
We trust in him who fulfilled the law and then in his perfection took the payment, the penalty that we deserve for falling short of the law in his own body on the tree. Amen? So we've come to trust in him. We've come to lean into him. But we have to recognize that the law has value. It was the law, it was the law that pointed us to God, that pointed us to to Christ. It was the law that actually showed how condemned we were, how united with Satan we were. And the Bible says that we were children of wrath. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Let me read it to you, Ephesians chapter 2. It's not in my notes, but maybe we can get there. Ephesians chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, what's it mean, children of wrath? When we were united with Satan, we were united with pride and uncleanness. We were united with sin. We were united with a fallen nature. When we were united in that realm, then the wrath of God would be our inheritance. We were poised for, we were positioned for the wrath of God. And this is part, this is part of why we come to Jesus, and maybe it should be the foundational basis for why we run to the shelter of Jesus is because we were children of wrath. We were positioned for wrath. We saw it demonstrated all week for seven nights in a row. That when the people did not choose the salvation offered in Jesus, then they were united or it became clear that they would become or come under the wrath, the same wrath that is ordained for the devil and his cohorts. That's crazy stuff, isn't it? Listen, though, I think this is really important stuff because I think this is the foundation of a stronger Christian life. This is where I'm going with this. I'm going somewhere with this. I think it's the foundation of a stronger Christian life. What do I mean by that? Um, I want to give you an illustration. Um, for the most part, and for much, uh, we we we've told you, and and you're told that. Come to Jesus, and he will give you peace, joy, happiness, prosperity, and blessing. Uh, 
But we don't talk much about the wrath to come. We don't talk much about judgment. But actually, Jesus even said the Holy Spirit will be coming into the earth to convict of sin, of righteousness, and of, what was the third thing? Judgment. The Holy Spirit has come to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Guess what? There's a judgment day coming. Isn't that crazy? And we're going to be judged by the law. But if you're hidden in Jesus, there won't be evidence to convict you. So here's what we tell people. And uh, bear with me. Uh, this morning, this is a parachute. So by sake of illustration, this is my parachute. I, I was trying to find one this week, and I couldn't find one. Uh, so I stuffed a backpack with stuff out of the laundry room. So this is, uh, is going to be my parachute this morning. This is what we tell people, though. We tell people, we tell people, and we've told you this. I have been one of the best tellers of this message. We tell people, come to Jesus, and you will get peace, joy, happiness, prosperity. And this is, this is kind of like, this is kind of like, Two different folks illustrated uh, flying with Alaska, and um, you're you're flying, and you're you're on a flight, and we come up to the first one, and we tell them, uh, put on this parachute, put on this parachute, uh, and and uh, and we and we want you to we want you to wear this parachute, and just just uh, this parachute. I'll tell you what. Tell you what, we want to tell you the truth. This parachute's going to improve the flight. Uh, we're going, we're going all the way to JFK, and uh, so we got several hours in the flight. But this, just wear this, and uh, we just want to tell you this is going to improve your flight. Probably going to make the flight more comfortable, more joyful, more peaceful. You can lean back into the parachute, and it's just going to. This whole experience is going to be amazing. This whole flight, and so uh, just, just put this on. All right? So they put on the parachute. And they got the parachute on. And they're looking around, and a lot of other passengers don't have the parachute on. Okay? And other passengers are kind of looking back and sneering at them. Right? And they're trying to get, they're trying to get comfortable back in their seat. And it's just, it's a little bit, and they're thinking. And then, you know, other, other folks start poking fun at them. And then somebody starts coming down the aisle, and they're like, excuse me, uh, we we have we have storage for things like that, and they're like, no, no, no I'm, I'm supposed to wear this. It's going to improve my flight. Okay, but instead of the flight improving, what they get is criticism, sneers. Now, what are the, what are they getting? They're getting what Jesus promised in Luke chapter eight, Matthew thirteen. Persecution comes because of the word. The word is sown into your heart, and initially it springs up with faith, and it seems to make sense. But right on the heels of the word being sown into your heart comes persecution, comes trouble, and the enemy comes to steal the word. And instead of improving your flight, your flight seems to get worse. 
So you, you come to Jesus, and we tell you, come to Jesus. We have a come to Jesus party, and you come to Jesus, and we tell you, it's, I'm telling you what, this is amazing. It is peace, joy, happiness. It is prosperity. You are just going to be blown away. And instead of getting all that, you get sneers and jeers and mockery and trouble and resistance and spiritual battle. And you're thinking, what in the world have I done? How long do you think that person is going to wear the parachute? Now, now here's a phenomena, and this is why I love what we did this week. I'm not guaranteeing that it was. I'm not guaranteeing that it was the most amazing thing under the planet. But I do want to say I kind of like what we did this week, because we actually talked about the reality of wrath to come. And we don't do that much in church anymore. When I gave my life to the Lord in church, we actually in church they were talking about the wrath to come, and I kind of wanted to escape it. And heaven with Jesus sounded a lot better than hell with you-know-who. And so, so, and it stuck. Everybody say it stuck. Now, here's the thing that I'm illustrating to you, I'm trying to help you, is that something like 80% of those who come to the Lord don't stay with the Lord. The backsliding rate of those who give their lives to Jesus is off the charts. The struggle, the difficulty, why, why, why? Well, because we told them it's peace, joy, tranquility, prosperity, comfort. Just put this parachute on. Put this parachute on, and this is going to be an amazing ride for you. And I'm telling you, there's believers all over the planet and believers all over in our own relationships, and maybe even you, that when trouble comes, they're like, what's up with this? I wasn't told about trouble I was told about peace, joy, tranquility, blessing, prosperity. That preacher lied to me. And so what happens is it's the enemy, it's the enemy trying to steal the word from you. He's trying to steal your salvation. He's trying to steal your trust. He's trying to steal your resolve. He's trying to steal your will. Will you really stick with this thing? And... And that's why we have to know that the number one reason we've come to Jesus is because we could not measure up. We could never measure up to the righteous requirements of God outlined in his word, outlined in his law, and that we needed Jesus to cover us. And the only way through those pearly gates or shiny tinsels, the only way up there with Jesus is to rely on Him, and have a relationship with Him, a trusting, obedient relationship with Him, wherein He not only covers us, but He sends His Spirit into our heart. We obey Him, and we allow Him to lead us. That's why Jesus is not a suggestion or a good idea. He is Lord. He has to be Lord of your life not a good suggestion, not a great idea, not just a coach or a friend, though we call him those things, and he called himself those things. But he also said he has to be Lord, right? Let's look at the other passenger. The other passenger is approached and says, hey, uh, we want to tell you something. Uh, we're on our way to JFK, but uh, to tell you the truth, we don't think we're going to make it. 
And we don't know when, but at any moment, uh, this plane's probably going to go down. They tell you this after you've left the runway. You're at 10,000 feet. You're on your way to 20,000. And they hand you this thing, and they say, put this on. At times, it might be uncomfortable. At times, it might be difficult. At times, you might not be able to get the nap you anticipated. It might be harder for you to make room between your tray to eat your meal. But I'm telling you something. If you wear this parachute, when this thing goes down between here and JFK, guess what? You're going to live. You're going to be fine. How many of you think that person's going to take the parachute off? This person over here, about two hours into the flight, they are so sick and tired of being kicked, ribbed, mocked, laughed at, uncomfortable, unable to eat their food, spilling beverages on their lap, too close to the TV screen to watch their movie because the thing is pushing them forward. They are so sick of it, they take their parachute off. They take off the Lord Jesus. This person, are you kidding me? If they have to watch the screen a little closer, they will. If they spill a little food on their chest because the tray is too close, that's fine. Are they taking this parachute off? Not a chance. There's some folks up front that don't have parachutes on. They start mocking them, laughing at them. Do you think they really care? The only care that they have is, I feel sorry for those folks. Why weren't they given a parachute? They're laughing. They're laughing the dickens out. Look at that. That guy's flipping me off up there. What in the world? He doesn't have a parachute. Oh, my goodness. That is not wise. That's not sound. It's not sound. Should I give him mine? What in the world are we going to do? Is he going to take his parachute off? It gets a little rough in here. It gets a little rocky, and, and there's, there's, a, there's jeering, and the person beside him is mocking him and make fun of him. Not a chance they're taking that parachute off. Why? Because they have come to God out of a motive wherein God has provided a way of escape. God has provided a way of escape, and in that way of escape, they understand that God has shown me kindness in Jesus. He's shown me how to make it through this thing. There's going to be a disaster coming. There's going to be wrath coming. There is going to be a judgment coming. But because I've put on the Lord Jesus, it's going to be okay. I'm not taking him off. Come hell or high water. Come storms or rockiness. Come mocking or persecution. Come peace, joy, or a lack of peace and joy, a lack of tranquility, a lack of prosperity. I'm not taking this thing off. Not basing my salvation on, well, Jesus just was not good to me this week. I don't know. And he said, I know, and the preacher even said, he'll pay my power bills and everything. And then he didn't do it. And so, boy, howdy doody, I am just done with this Jesus thing. No, keep that parachute on. It's just another moment or two. Just push through this persecution. Push through this trouble. It's just the enemy trying to steal the seed from you. 
Don't let him steal the seed from you. Push this thing. Push a little bit longer. And guess what? You're going to have breakthrough. You're going to have breakthrough. You're going to have breakthrough. You're going to have the reward. You're going to have the blessing. But we didn't come for the blessing. We came to escape wrath. We didn't come for the comfort. We came to escape wrath. And if we take off the Lord Jesus because it wasn't comfortable enough, oh, let me tell you, there's an uncomfortable day coming. We had it illustrated right here in these two nice little hell pits. There's an uncomfortable day coming, and I don't want to be a part of it. Amen? Heads bowed, eyes closed all across the auditorium. I want the band to come join me on the platform. Those of you that have come for baptism, I want you to come and prepare your way. I actually thought this morning there might be others. I brought extra towels. I was like faith-filled. I brought four big beach towels. Because I was thinking, you know, there might be others this morning who want to say goodbye to their old life. There might be others this morning who want to trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation. I want to read you a verse as you prepare your hearts and as you are just praying. Believers praying all across the auditorium. Believers praying. Believers praying. We just want to make room for the Holy Spirit to move upon our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We so welcome you. So welcome you. We so welcome you. We welcome your ministry of salvation this morning. We welcome the wooing of the Spirit this morning. You know, on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached, he told them about Jesus. He told them that they had crucified the Holy One, the Messiah the one who came from God for the forgiveness of sin. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just welcome you here this morning. As you're just preparing your hearts and meditating on the Word and on the Lord this morning. That's okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I brought four extra towels. If you're here this morning and you say, I just want to dedicate my life to Jesus. I want to put on the parachute that God's provided. I don't want to take it off. Maybe some of you here this morning are saying, you know what, I've taken it off several times. But I want to put it on and put it on permanently. If that's you, then I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. But if you're here as well, I've got four towels. And if you want to get all wet for Jesus... Join them in the foyer right now. Just join them in the foyer right now. And, and uh, 
will baptize you with those that have come. Would you pray with me, congregation? Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you just want to know that you know that you know that you know that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, want to know that you know that you've given your life to God, I want to lead you in a prayer and I want you to pray with me. Let's say this together. Father, I admit to you that I could not measure up to your righteous expectations, to your glorious nature. And so I've come to you today, and I'm coming now in Jesus, trusting in him who was perfect, who measured up and yet paid the price for me. I admit to you right now, I need him. It's not any higher power. It's Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. He is my representative. He is my full payment. He is why I have forgiveness, why I can talk to you right now, and you hear me because I'm coming in his name. And because of him, I welcome your Holy Spirit to transform my nature. I welcome your Holy Spirit to make me new on the inside and give me the grace to live with you, to walk with you, to be close to you, to revere you, to honor you in all that I do. In Jesus' name, amen.